Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, this morning's sermon comes really as part two on last week's, uh, on Ben's sermon from last week on the previous uh, gospel passage. Uh, but we're going to be looking both at the Exodus and the Matthew passage today. So it's going to be a little bit of like exegetical whiplash going back and forth, but, but bear with me. Um, yeah, so a follow-up to last week. You know, the question was posed uh, by Ben and, and by uh, the gospel writer Matthew and, of course, Jesus himself in his words, uh, who do you say that I am? So, and that's posed to us. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we say that God is? And we learned last week that, yes, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the coming king, he's this glorious God. But these, these two readings go together. This week fills that in even more. We learn that he's the suffering God. He's the God who uh, chooses to fail and yet succeeds. But I also want to back up and give a little more context with Exodus. And so uh, we have this wonderful scene, this famous scene that we've learned since we were little kids about the burning bush and how God encountered Moses through the burning bush. And we all, you know, we think we want this experience, right? We think we want uh, God to just appear to us in a burning bush or what have you. Uh, but actually, we don't know what we're talking about. Uh, we think that or we say that, but truth be told, we don't want that. Because if you look at verse 6, it's not numbered in your thing, but uh, verse 6, it's, uh, Moses hid his face in fear. It's not a pretty sight. It's not a comforting sight. It's, it's a fearful, fearful sight. Similar to Isaiah and the temple with the seraphim who have to cover themselves in the presence of God. So we fool ourselves into thinking we really want this special experience with God. I had a seminary prof in, in Birmingham. Um, he was a really fun, fun guy. Um, but he, he would often joke about kind of the worship music in some of the churches. And uh, if you know the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Open the Eyes of My Heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. And Mark was like, I do not want to see you. Uh, I prefer my Christianity unmediated. Thank you very much. Or mediated. Thank you very much. Uh, he doesn't want this unmediated experience. We don't really want this unmediated experience with, with God as he is. And of course, even the burning bush is a mediated experience, but it's so direct that Moses has to hide his face. And so similarly, the question here is posed, who are you? Who, who is this God? And God responds by saying, well, I'm the, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm that God. So Moses started to get a little bit of understanding who he's talking to here. So he can fill in the gaps and say, okay, you're the one you know, who, who, who rescued Abraham out of this, this pagan culture and made a promise about filling the land with his descendants. And you, know, you can go all the way up to the time of Egypt and how God dealt with him. But God never really gave his name in all those contexts. He, he went by different names. You know, the Hebrew words Elohim just means God. It's very general. And so Moses uh, is wanting to know, well, who are you? When I go back to say that you're going to rescue us from Egypt, how do I tell them who you are? And God answers by saying, tell them that I am who I am has sent you. It's a little enigmatic, confusing. What is he talking about? I will be with you. I will be who I will be is another way you can translate that. In other words, I'm not going to give you my full name or this, this name as you really want it. You don't get control over who I am. I get to fill in the gaps of who I am and what that means. When we hear someone's name, it's very personal and it's very intense. You know, I don't know if you had that crush in middle school and you just loved that girl or boy. When you learn their name, it just, your heart went a flutter. You learn so much about them when you hear their name. And names uh, carry that meaning. It's more than just the letters and sounds that make up the name. But when I hear the name Paige, uh, I can't help but my heart go flutter. Or when I hear my brother's name, Jason, it means a lot. It's more than just the letters, J-A-S-O-N. Or my best friend Clayton, he's the only Clayton I know. It means a lot to me. 
And I think about not just Clayton as a name, but his personality. And so when God gives his name, I will be who I will be, or I am who I am, he's filling in the gaps with who he is by what he does. In other words, look out. Look out for who he is. You don't learn it just by a name. But he does give somewhat of a name. It's that name. I'm not going to say it here because it's uh, respectful to our Jewish uh, friends. But the name, the proper name of God is a four-letter word, uh, Y-H-W-H. And that's the kind of the name he gives. And it's a very personal, intense, and that's the first time that God really goes by that in a collected sense where his people can call him. And he says in this verse, he will go on for generations to be known by the name. It's very intense. It's very personal. But more than just the letters, more than just the sounds that make it, it's the acts that he does. It's the things that he does in history that fill in the gap of who he is and what his name is. So we have all this context in the Old Testament. And that's why we read the Psalms. That's why we read the Old Testament. This is our scripture. It's not just for the Jewish people. That's what Jesus is living into. And so when he's going around his ministry saying, I am, I am, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. That's the context he's entering into. And so similarly in this passage in Matthew, so here's our our whiplash. We're going to the New Testament here. We're following up on that question, who do you say that I am? And it's more than just I am the Christ. It's more than just I am God or I am the Lord. But I'm the one who is going to go and die and suffer on a cross. Peter can't handle this. Peter hears these words. He says, no, God forbid it, Lord. This will not happen to you. And Jesus responds so viscerally, so strongly. It's, It's an intense response. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why does he respond so strongly? Well, his reputation's at stake. This is God's very name at stake. And so we can project onto God all the things we want. And that's what we do. Forbach was right about that. We do project onto God. We do um, believe certain things about God and we, we put it up there. But the point with Jesus is he's taken all that away and revealing who he is. So we don't have to project. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to control over who God is. He controls it and gives it to us. So Peter responds, or excuse me, Jesus responds so strongly, get behind me, Satan. This is the thoughts of man, not the thoughts of God. Peter, who was the rock, has now become the stumbling block. He's going against uh, what God has revealed, that God does suffer for us. That's a controversial theological claim that God suffers, but here we are. Jesus says it, I will suffer and die, and on the third day be raised. So Jesus is further filling in the gaps of what God's name means, his acts in history. Yes, he saved them uh, from bondage in Egypt, but he's also the one that's going to save us from bondage by dying on a cross, by raising on the third day. So his name is more than just that four-letter name, but his name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's filling in the gaps. He's telling us who he is. And Peter can only imagine a God who is victorious, who is triumphant, who is on top, who wins. And Jesus says, actually, I'm the God who loses on purpose. I'm the God who's on bottom. I'm the God who gets my hands dirty. I'm the God who suffers and dies. It recalibrates everything we think we know about God. It recalibrates all that we wish about God. Because we wish for God who's triumphant. We wish for God who is successful and meets all of our needs and makes our dreams come true. We wish for that God. Jesus is saying, no, I'm not exactly that God. That's not who I am. I will be who I will be. I am who I am, and I am the one who dies for you. So this, friends, is, to me, the foundational passage of the New Testament. There's a lot more to be said about the New Testament, but here, in a most direct way, Jesus is combating any idea that we believe that Jesus and God in Jesus does not suffer. We constantly have to come back to this to recalibrate who we think God is. We talk a lot about, in this church, I don't know if you've heard it, picked up on the language, but a theology of the cross versus a theology of glory. 
The theology of the cross is exactly what's being presented here. That in failure, in the mess and the muck and the mire of being human, that's where God works best. Not in the glorious high mountaintop experiences that we think he works in. So we bring a lot of experiences to church today. We bring both the good times and the bad. But I'm telling you today that God works most profoundly in what we call the bad. Now what does all this mean for us? This theology of the cross versus theology of glory. Well, Jesus goes on to talk about death a little more and he says, those who want to follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, this goes really in the face of everything we see on TV with popular Christianity. I have a bad disease, it's called self-righteousness, but I do watch these TV preachers and I get a little upset by what's being peddled as, as true Christianity because uh, it's, this is it right here, death, failure, loss, that's true Christianity. And you know, the existentialist philosophers had it right, Heidegger and Beauvoir when they said we are beings thrown toward death. Beauvoir also said, she said, from the moment we are born, we are dying. That's brutal honesty, brutal intellectual honesty. And Jesus is given that same honesty, but he gives a flip side to it too, because he also has resurrection presupposed. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But in the face of sort of this popular Christian idea that here are five steps for you to make everything better, here's how you get your finances in order, here's how you make your love life work out, here's how you never have a disobedient child, what, what have you. We all know it's not true. Do you follow the Babylon Bee? Do you know this website? If you have a pen, write it down, Babylon Bee, go, go find this website. It's essentially the Christian onion. Uh, it's a satirical news website, it's fake news, um, but it's very funny. And the pastors here, we, we send out group texts every week with Babylon Bee articles. And this one's probably a little bit insensitive, but the funny headline this week was, Joel Osteen sails the flooded waters of Houston, handing out uh, copies of his best life now off his yacht. Now, of course, that's funny because in some level we can kind of believe that, knowing the things that the best life now and that book and that kind of theology says. But to be fair to Joel and that church, they were apparently in the right with this whole flooding situation. Uh, they tried their best to follow what the city of Houston was, was ordering to do. So uh, don't trust everything you read. But that headline, that fake headline is funny nevertheless. Joel Osteen sailing in his yacht in Houston, handing out copies of your best life now. And similarly, there's another pastor who talks about, uh, and he's had a recent sermon where he talks about you can't control the story of your life, but you can control your headline. Friends, that's complete nonsense. That's trying to put a positive spin, that's positive thinking on top of our failures and our, our, our losses. If, you, if I'm ever at your bedside giving pastoral care and I say, hey, you can't control the story, but you can control the headline, I hope you'll call Jake and have him fire me. Uh, that's not good pastoral care. That's not the word you need to hear, that you, you're going to get better, everything's, everything's going to get better. That's true only in a full eschatological sense that God's going to make everything right in the last days. But that's not true here and now necessarily. We're not promised our best life now. And I don't know why I continue to make pot shots at a book that was written 15 years ago, but the idea continues to go about that, that Christianity is all about glory. It's all about uh, success. It's all about uh, shiny white teeth and a wonderful $5,000 suit and a happy marriage and wonderful obedient children who go off to successful colleges. That's not what Christianity is about. That's sort of the American dream. But Christianity is about meeting our failures, meeting our sin, meeting our deepest, darkest moments, and knowing that God is there in the midst of them, working out what he sees fit, his righteousness, his peace, his forgiveness, his love. So I want to close, um, or approach my closing here, with uh, lyrics from uh, Jason Isbell, who's a, who's a singer-songwriter. And listen closely to this. I think this is profound. And I can't say whether or not Jason's a Christian, but this is very Christian lyrics. 
He says, his song is 24 frames. He says, you thought God was an architect, but now you know. He's more like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything that you built was just for show, goes up in flames, in 24 frames. Friends, God is not the architect of our dreams. He's not the builder of our best life now. He is sometimes that pipe bomb that comes in and destroys all the things that we built up to protect ourselves, protect ourselves from pain, protect ourselves from failure and loss. He's tearing those things down, most profoundly in his cross. He's looking death and failure and defeat right in the face and saying, I'm actually above this by being in it. I have the power, as has been said last week, the power to let power go. And that's who God is. He's not the architect of our dreams. But he's tearing all those things down so that we can have true peace, lasting joy, real meaning, and forgiveness. That is the word of the cross, and that is the word of Jesus. And that is the context that Jesus is filling in on who do we say that he is. Who do we say that Jesus is? He's the one that suffers and dies for us. And in our suffering and in our deaths, he raises us up to new life. So I think Jason Isbell has it right and Joel Osteen and the others have it wrong. God is a pipe bomb ready to blow all the things that we built for show. So to close and finally to say, God does his most profound masterpieces. He performs them in his workshop, which is the mess of your life, which is the failure and the loss and the grief and the very worst rock bottoms you can imagine. God performs his masterpieces right then and there. So I don't know what you're facing this week, but I know you're facing something. Minor or major, you're facing something. Know that God is here working in you, working his righteousness, working his forgiveness, working his healing, even in the midst of failure, even in the midst of loss. And that is great comfort. But let it not end there. Where it ends is in your baptism, where it all began. Jesus says, for those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Friends, in your baptism, you lost your life and you found your life hid in Christ with God. And that is our hope. That is our success, if there is one. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.